Welcome to Witchlit, a place to talk about the craft of writing and writing the craft. I'm your host, Victoria Rashke, author, publisher, witch, and nosy Scorpio. Marshall is a practicing traditional folkloric witch living in Texas. Be sure to catch him on his podcast, Southern Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways, and get his book, Cunning Words, A Grimoire of Tales and Magic, on Amazon now. You can also read his blog, Unpathios Pagan, under the Southern Light Diaries. Marshall, welcome to Witchlet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of the show, so I'm really oh, excited to be thank here. Thank you. Oh, it's so good to. It's always good to know that people are listening and you're not screaming into the void. <laughs> oh no, I am absolutely listening because um, I, I like, I like that the focus of your podcast is authors and their passion for what they put on the in the written word. I think that's so important. Um, I, I feel like sometimes. Sometimes it's nice to listen to podcasts where it's about themes, but getting to listen to the author speak about what they wrote, why they wrote it, what was the impetus behind it. That's 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 the bee's knees right there. Oh, thank you. Well, awesome. Well, that leads us perfectly into our first question for everybody is in this <laughs> age of podcasts, which we both have, and TikTok and social media and YouTube, why write still? Why write books? Um, I love that that's the first question that you always ask guests. And I've been thinking about it a lot um, uh, since since knowing that I was going to come on the show. And it really comes down to there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to put my work out there. But I, I I'm extremely inspired by folklore. I'm inspired by stories and um, I feel like mythology and folk tales give us expressions of human experience and those experiences inform us on what we believe in on how we want to respond to things and i love learning about greek mythology roman mythology italian mythology celtic mythology um there's even some really really as much trauma as it's called as this church has caused me <laughs> there's some really really cool christian mythology as well but one of the things that really stood out to me was every time I look at mythology, I can't seem to find a mythology that really seems to belong to me. I live in Texas. I was born and raised in the U.S. If I want to be, if, if I'm a, a white cis gay, just so we're clear, man, <laughs> but I live on land whose stories don't always belong to me. And and we have to be really, really, really respectful of the native cultures that came before America was America. And while I love learning stories about um, Welsh folklore and and Cornish folklore and Scottish folklore, which I do have blood lineages to, I don't live there. I'm not immersed within the culture. Mm -hmm. So it's hard for me to feel connected to that on a cultural level. So instead, I really, really cling to stories of traditional witchcraft. I cling to stories of, of um, tales that come out of trial records, tales that come out of cunning folk who've come before me, um, maybe over in New England, over in Appalachia, or also over in England and, and, and the EU as well. But those stories inform the way that I see my practice. And I found that I wanted to share with the world how I see my practice. I wanted to write stories that gave voice to the things that inspire me. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think that that 
gives people the opportunity to realize that you can write your own stories too. Magic from folklore doesn't come from something that has to be ancient. It can come from you. You can write the story of the thing that inspires you and that inspiration is magic. And I think that that's something more people, I wanna encourage more people to look within themselves and say, what, what inspires me to make this? And, and can I write this and then turn it into a magical inspiration? Um, I spoke with uh, Corey Thomas Hutchinson, the author of, of uh, uh, oh my gosh. American World Witchery. New World Witchery. I was going to say American <laughs> Folk Magic, but that's the most recent one he made. Yeah. He, he curated. Um, and I asked him, like, do you think I could write my own? This was years ago. I was like, I, I would love to write my own folklore. Can I do that? And he was like, absolutely. Of, of course. Uh, and that really, really kind of made me want to continue on this path of building stories that inspire magic and the magic that already I think already exists in the world, mm-hmm. but kind of funnels it into a, a pathway of working. Yeah, that's funny that um, Corey is largely the reason I have a podcast. Real? Oh, I had a conversation with him Amazing. a long time ago about like, I'd really like to do a podcast, but I'm kind of intimidated. I'm trying to find a niche, you know, that kind of thing. And then um, actually our publishing company is publishing his and Lane's book. So <gasps> that's fantastic. Yeah, oh, I love so, that. That's what synchronicity for me to bring him up. Yeah, no, Corey is, is I, he is like one of those connector people, I think. Mm-hmm. So I just, I appreciate having him in my life. So, that's awesome. Um, so I read Cunning Words and I finished Thank you. it. <laughs> And I, I've read all your Pathios blogs to you because I oh, just, thank like, you. I, I always like to do a little stalking before I interview somebody. <laughs> me too, me too. But I, one of the things I love about the book and and how you talk about it is that you have created new folklore stories, but they feel really old. Yeah, and, I mean, and, they feel like like you're right, like they've always been there. Yeah, these these I think these veins of magic have always lived in human in humanity and our human experience. Um, one of my greatest inspirations uh, was the Black Toad by Jim McGarry. Uh, she wrote this book, and I believe it was published in in 2016. Um, I'd almost consider it a type of grimoire, but with a little bit. Uh, less spirit names and a little bit more history and examples. She used this really, really fantastic organizational skill and broke down how she wanted to present traditional West Country charms and magic um, under the the old mother red cap, old mother green cap, and old mother black cap. And I don't know what it is about this that just absolutely screamed in my mind: these are people, these are spirits, these have these these people have stories to tell. Mm-hmm. And I I was so inspired by, by her book that I wanted to write those stories. And mm-hmm. I didn't know how they were going to come to me. Um, I didn't know exactly in the form in which they would kind of take place on paper. I do not write outlines. I don't write um, almost anything in advance. I, I start and I see where I feel like the spirits are taking me. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many times I would write something and be like, this is, this is all wrong. This feels wrong. <laughs> it feels like I'm being told this is not the story I should be writing and I'll kind of start over. Yeah. Um, but all of them are inspired by things that either have existed before or there's a flavor 
of something that existed. And I got the opportunity to expand upon it when I couldn't find anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I love one of the things that, and, and this, I hope I'm not giving away something I'm not supposed to give away, but I no, love that. We're two months out since publication. So I think okay, we're, we're, good. we're okay. If people want some little spoilers, they're going to little spoilers. If you don't come <laughs> back to this spoilers. after reading. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert now. Uh, I love that they, you gave them names that evoke other witches. Yeah. And I don't, I didn't know if you did it on purpose or if it was like a subconscious thing, but I was like, oh, Vivienne made me totally think of the uh, Chocolat of Vivienne from Chocolat. Oh, really? And and Belinda obviously is the good witch. And, you know, so I was like, (laughs) I love that they have names that kind of evoked these other kind of pop culture folklore witches, I guess, in some ways. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I didn't necessarily do that on purpose. Each of them had names that stood out to me when I was writing. One of them was actually named after someone very specific. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, The Mother in Black was, her name was inspired by Olivia, the Witch of Wonderlust. Mm -hmm. Um, And her name's Oliviana. Uh, And Olivia knows why she inspires that story. (laughs) Um, We'll leave that for her to know. But but, um, Viviane actually, funny enough, was inspired by uh, the Mists of Avalon. The Lady okay. of the Lake. Um, yeah. I, I watched the movie when I was a young teenager. They made a made-for-TV mini, like a really small miniseries. Yep. Yep. And Angelica Houston played the Lady of the Lake, and her name was Vivian, and it was, or Vivian, and it was one of those. I, I don't think I thought about it when I wrote it, but I went back and kind of was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But yeah. obviously these things live somewhere up in my head, and then when they come out, they come out in a way that just seems to work or doesn't work, and we move on. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing that I think people who aren't writers have this idea that these, you know, things come like a whole cloth, like Athena being born from Zeus's head. And I'm like, oh, no, mm-hmm. like writing is 90 percent editing. Right? Oh, truly. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, you'll notice and, and all the readers might notice that barely any of the characters in my book, hat book, have names. Um, only, only very few of them do, and that's on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain stories where names are put in place because you are meant to experience the story from their perspective. And then there are some where I don't want them to have any names because I want you to experience them as if they were you. Mm-hmm. And I think that 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 was a, a, a way in which I got to bring the audience reading the story into it to live it, to experience it, and not see it as it happening to someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I like that. And it, it's, um, I feel like there are a lot of little Easter eggs throughout the book. Oh, yes. And like the the way all the stories eventually fit together have this really lovely loop. And um, I didn't know I was going to do that in the beginning. Again, there was no outline. It was mm-hmm. It was something that as it came to me, it made sense that all of a sudden this story that I'm re- oh my gosh, of course, this is an older version of this person from an earlier story. Um, or, or, or I can't just have one story with Belinda. She's, she's, she's popping around. She's making mm-hmm. her ways across this, across the country. She's got gifts. She's got options. Yeah. I, she might be one of my favorite characters in the book. She's my mind too. It's 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 a toss up, but she's she's real close. So one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about because I think it 
it's it's something that people who I, I think what you've done is incredibly unique. And I was trying to figure out like, what would this have looked like as a pitch? And you decided to self-publish. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about those decisions and why you decided to go that route rather than try and go through the pitch boat and give somebody else more control over this work. Well, that kind of answers the question. Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone else to have control over this work. Um, I'm going to be very blunt and I'm, I'm, I don't want it to come off as conceited, but I feel like we can be honest here. I have a very large following on multiple platforms. Um, because of that, I knew I had the opportunity and privilege of self-publishing and getting my information out there and being my own source of marketing um, without needing an entire marketing team, an editing team, and a publisher to do that for me. Mm -hmm. uh, that is a privilege, and I absolutely recognize that. Not everyone will have the opportunity to to have that that viewership and following to self-publish and be and get as many copies out there. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important that I acknowledge that first. I know that. But secondly, I, I, as an interviewer on a podcast, I speak to a lot of authors as well. Um, I've spoken with people at multiple publishing co companies who I really, really love. But some of the things that get back to me are, oh, I'm so glad you asked that question. They cut a whole section out of my book because it was too long and I wish they could have kept it in. Or I love my cover, but I hated that they used this color. Or, I hated that they used this font. <laughs> or I wish, I wish they could have picked this artist instead of this artist. And I was not willing to concede on anything. Um, book publishers as wonderful and and as accessible especially in nowadays as they are their goal is still to be a business is to make money and if they feel like something isn't as sellable or maybe a little bit um ostracizing or possibly controversial they may choose not to publish it or they may ask you to edit it out i did not yet know what would be in my book when i started writing it because as i said a lot of it was stream of consciousness experience I didn't want to risk that chance. And if any publishers out there are listening, I respect you so much. <laughs> and, and I want you to know how much, how much, uh, uh, veneration you have for me. And I don't think that you're going to cut up my book if I offered it to you, but I just kind of decided to close off that road and, and be the little control freak that I am. No, I, I totally get it. I mean, that's partly why we started our publishing company. I got the rights back to my books from my original publisher. Really? And my husband had already been working in publishing and we were like, let's just do it ourselves. Yeah. So that was how it started. And I also spoke to a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by a lot of other authors who've been honest about like what the percentages they make in royalties per book. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking if I'm going to spend this amount of time over the next year devoting my creativity to this creation i want it all yeah no i think it makes I want sense it, all. it totally yeah. makes sense to me and i think you know i do think we've kind of moved past this self-publishing stigmatization i do think so mm -hmm. just because people do have their own platform i mean indie music is a thing indie publishing is a thing and, you know, when initially I had, I have a friend who self-published pretty early, like when you could still like 
hit the jackpot on Amazon, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, she was like, I, I, she kind of kept it a secret for a while that they were self-published. She was self-publishing because she just, you know, people still had this, you know, concept of what that meant. Yeah. And now like, you know, 10, 15 years later, it's not a big deal, but I always remind people like, you know, Oscar Wilde self-published, you know, like it it, self-publishing has a long, um, history and, I, I think it's just come to a new way of it. We have more tools to do it and can do interesting things. And, and I think I, it's, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, well, no, I was just going to say, I think it's really important to also remember in, in the field of witchcraft, we have a long history of self-publishing as well. Mm-hmm. A huge portion of grimoires started off as handwritten manuals by someone. They weren't some mass-produced bookseller trying to make money. They became mass-produced once the printing press was invented. Mm-hmm. But before, they were a person's personal experiences. They were a practitioner's uh, collection of spirits they've worked with or charms or recipes. And um, I, I, I realized I didn't mention this at the beginning. I want people who haven't read my book yet to understand it's not just a singular collection of stories. Mm -hmm. It comes in three parts. I do see my book and I call it a grimoire because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. It is a collection of stories that teach a pathway of magic in folklore. Then it's a collection of poems that teach recipes, that teach tales, that teach epithets that can be used in magic. And in the back actually has a collection of, of chapters of applicable and usable magic Mm -hmm. that are sometimes extrapolated from these stories. So I wanted my book, it's hard to say I wanted my book to be mine, but I wanted my book to have my fingers in it and, Mm -hmm. and, and my words and my spirits within. And I wanted that grimoire, however small it may be now, Maybe one day in a hundred years from now, it might be the next black pullet. It might be the next, um, you know, uh, uh, I'm not going to call myself the next Agrippa because that would be super conceited. But you never know. <laughs> like, you who, never knows? Know. who knows? Who knows what this work or these <laughs> stories might mean to people a hundred years from now. Mm-hmm. And it started with one person and it started with one mind and it started with, with one drive to share these tales. Mm-hmm. I also love that you had the ability with, with having that control to, because I know that you're a book collector from the podcast, that you oh, love yes. fine editions of oh, books. Look at this behind me. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's lovely that you have the opportunity to go, okay, this will be available as an ebook, but it's also going to be available as a hardbound book with, you know, these kind of special features. And I think that is really, you know, a lovely thing. And the other thing I love about your book are the author's notes, which I think. Oh, yeah. A more traditional publisher probably would have said no to you, mm-hmm. but I love them because I think it's really, it's really, like you said, an insight into you personally and what this means to you. And it's not really handholding. It's more like, by the way. It, it is. And, you know, I interviewed uh, Craig Spencer, who wrote Aradia, a modern guide to um, the gospel of the witches by Charles Lee. Le- Charles Godfrey Leland last year. And um, one of the things I loved that that he, he did in his book is he would have a passage from Aradia and then a section on Revelations that was really dissecting what those passages mean. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to make sure in my book that it was very, very clear the impetus behind them, the inspiration mm-hmm. for this character, um, 
my own personal experience when I worked with this type of magic. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you pick up a book um, by a major publishing company. It's a 101, maybe a 201. And it's like, you know, you want to fly to the Sabbath, put on the self, close your eyes and, um, and start envisioning this and then see where it takes you. And that's wonderful. But sometimes people are like, but what if nothing happens? Like what happened to you? And I, I wanted to put in, well, when I did something similar to this, this is an experience that I had. And I feel like a lot of times, many books that are teaching you simple instructions don't really give you a taste of the outcome. And I think a lot of practitioners are craving the personal experiences of authors more than just simple recipes. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that is social media too, because you, we have all kind of developed parasocial relationships with people we follow. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is this, like, I, I don't know. I, I hesitate to say expectation because I think that gets a little dangerous, but I think it is a little bit an expectation that you will have more access to what they think. Mm -hmm. And I love that you and, and Austin both have done a great job on the podcast and you do this in the book, but like you're clearly holding back things for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's important that people see that. Yeah. We've actually talked, we had a whole episode on gatekeeping and I feel like, um, you know, soapbox for a second. Gatekeeping is not an automatically bad word. I yeah. think we went through a, a really big boost of, of collective zeitgeist mentality where gatekeeping equals bad. I'm sorry. Gatekeeping just means that you are restricting access to something that can be applied to anything. Not everything is for you. My relationships with my spirits are for you. If I say it's okay, you don't get it automatically. And there are many times that I think people attribute the word gatekeeping to you didn't give me the information I needed exactly as I wanted it. And you made me mm -hmm. research it. So I'm calling you a gatekeeper and I'm using it as an emotional threat or reaction to you not giving me access to what I want. Mm -hmm. And um, I am a proud gatekeeper of my personal spiritual crap practice. And I think more people should consider themselves a gatekeeper to their own praxis. Mm -hmm. And however much you want to share is totally up to you and the spirits you work with. Yeah. And I love the section in the book where you talk about the um, kind of the kerfuffle on TikTok about the person who said, you know, you got to work. <laughs> and they got lambasted for it. And I'm like, no, it, it is work. And some things you have to find out on your own. I, you know, I taught culinary school and um, for years. And, you know, one of the things that shocked me is how many people really expected to walk into the classroom and be just like somehow dump my brain into theirs and they would know how to do these things. And I was mm -hmm. like, no, it's practice. You know, you go make salsa like a hundred thousand times to get your knife skills up, you know, and it's the same with witchcraft. You know, the first time you do it, you may screw it up. You know, that's just how it goes. And then you practice it, but yeah, go, you know, what is the thing? Go to the store and buy the 99 cent chili flakes you know yes yes that was the article i did about um <laughs> about the work yes i think yeah. that was that was really important and i listened to an, an interview year a couple i think about uh, even either in 2022 or 2021 with shawnee oats and um she is the maiden of the tubal clan camp tubal tubal cane clan mm -hmm. and it's very interesting because without 
listening to her say this first or knowing it. I mean, mind you, this is a, the clan of Tubal-Clain is a closed traditional witch practice. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever information that she or her um, clan members have written are the only information we truly have access to. And mm-hmm. a little bit of, of Robert Cochran, mm-hmm. um, but not a whole lot. And whatever she has to say, I'm grateful to learn and listen to. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the things she said was that we don't necessarily call it witchcraft. We call it craft or old craft, or Mm -hmm. um, we don't call it spells and charms quite as much. We call it work because it's doing work. We're doing Mm -hmm. the work. And I found that that was actually part of the language I had already adapted into my craft as well was I'm doing the work. I'm doing baneful work. I'm doing dextral work. I'm doing sinistral work. Mm -hmm. Um, I do feel like sometimes spells can have kind of a fantastical air to them that doesn't always feel as real as work Mm -hmm. and whether you call it spell or whether you call it work it is work and i i feel like a portion of what you see in my book is that it's not quite as simple as just lighting a candle saying some words and walking away Mm -hmm. sometimes it's chanting over a set of beads you've created yourself over a hundred to three hundred times sometimes it's journeying to a crossroads and then saying an epithet or walking to a river after making a doll out of mud from that river water and specific herbs and then throwing it in. There aren't substitutions for this. There aren't um, there aren't easier ways to go about it. Sometimes mm-hmm. the way you apply yourself applies the power to the work you do. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, it's also one of the things I think that I don't know if this comes from like the social media aspect of witchcraft and mm-hmm. or what, but I feel like a lot of witches that I see, especially newer, younger witches, uh, newer or younger, I guess, depending, um, is like, you have to do everything, you know? And it's like, everybody's kind of got their channel. Like we all have things we're particularly good at. Mm-hmm. Like as much as I love astrology, I'm not a math person and it, I, I appreciate it and I love to read what astrologers have written and I like to incorporate planetary days and hours and, and you know, the phase of the moon and those things into my work, but I don't really know how to do that. I'm exactly the same. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a couple things. I think, yes, I think a lot of newer practitioners, they get into, um, they get into witch talk. They get into social areas and these are wonderful invitation spaces. I actually Mm -hmm. really, really love them for that. Um, But sometimes I'm not saying you have to graduate out of that because I'm still on there. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, there does come a time when you have to get information outside of there. And one of the Mm -hmm. things like I don't do a lot of tarot. I mm-hmm. don't do a heavy amount of astrology. I would call myself the most astrology I do, I would say comes from a folk perspective, the mm-hmm. days of the week and the moon phases. Yeah. I don't even get as deep down as, as planetary hours as much as just days. Mm-hmm. I stick with the the folk uh, approach to it, if you will. Um, but do I care when I'm doing a full moon spell, if the moon is an Aries or, um, or Sagittarius, not really, because it's a full mm-hmm. moon and 
that's what I'm connecting to. Right. If I wanted to make it focus more specifically on a genre uh, like prosperity, then I would more do it on a Tuesday than the full moon. If mm -hmm. it was about, you know, winning a competition or sorry, a Thursday, if I wanted to be uh, like winning a competition, I do it on a Tuesday for Mars. If I wanted it to be um, maybe uh, some, some sort of like healing or bodily, bodily healing work, I do it on a Sunday. If I mm -hmm. wanted to do more mental healing work, emotional work, I do it on a Monday. That wouldn't be about the moon, that would be about the day, but it mm -hmm. would not really have anything to do with with Mercury and Gatorade or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do think, you know, it's like you can't you can't be an expert in everything. I think that's kind of how you become, what is it? Jack of all trades, master of none, right? Yeah. Like it's I I think there's a value in diving deep on the things that you either want to or that you have a natural proclivity to. And then utilizing other people in your community who are better at that other thing you have an interest in. Like, absolutely. You know, like, I just think about like the beautiful work that Austin does that he sells. Like I would never be able to make those things. Me neither. But that he offers that to the community to me mm -hmm. is a gift, you know, that there are witches who are willing to share the work they do in that way. Yes, it is. You are changing money for that thing, but that's part of the work is your, yeah. your, the energy you're exchanging with him is your cash. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and that's part of being a service magician. If mm -hmm. someone was asking me about tarot advice, I would send them to um, Robin Valentine, who wrote the book, Magical Tarot. If someone mm -hmm. wanted to ask me about astrology advice, I'd say, that's not my specialty. Go check out and and you can actually book services with um, Warrior Witch Nike. Uh, they've got a, a whole YouTube channel. They sometimes put out astrology stuff. I just think that there are people who really, really mm -hmm. good at their niches. Yeah. And and that's a beautiful thing. And yeah. I love that you said leaning into your proclivity because I leaned into my proclivity. It's stories, spirits, and sigils, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily astrology and tarot. Yeah. It's funny. It took me a long time to realize that my writing was magic. Oh, it because is. I had this I had this bucket, a separate bucket that like I think because I did writing as an academic focus, you know, I have a master's degree in creative writing. And I think that was like, it was a, always a separate thing. And then honestly, it was Corey, Corey and I had this conversation and he was like, why, why is it separate? And I was like, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I was in my forties when I figured that out. So like my, my magic work had always been separate from writing and now it is not. Would you mind if, because I think this connects to it so perfectly, would you mind mm -hmm. if I read the opening page of I my love, book? I would love for you to do that. I no. think you know what I'm talking about too. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times in the past, a lot of little grimoires like um, The Long Lost Friend or um, certain small collectors of commonplace books, like uh, especially during the French Bibliothèque Blue era where they had these little grimoires like uh, mm -hmm. um, The Black Pullet or... Um, uh, 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 Petit Albert, you know, they, it, you, sometimes they couldn't even read what was in them. Just mm -hmm. owning the book right. was considered to be a magical talisman. So, and I wanted to make that very clear that this book is magic. So the first thing you read when you open my book is this book is magic. This book is marked with cunning knowledge. The words within are twisted and miraculous. The images represent figures and archetypes who never were and always have been. 
charged by the three mothers and seven holy siblings, gifted by the spirits of the dark and wondrous woods. This book will offer protection and refuge to all those who seek it, unless they be your enemy. Within lies the guile of the man in black, the endlessness of the lady of other, and the prismatic spectrum of the divine androgyne. This book is loving. This book is cruel. This book is full of life. This book is full of death. This book will charm. This book will curse. This book is marked with cunning knowledge. This book is magic. And I really, really, (laughs) yeah, I I really, really wanted to make it very clear. And I wanted to set a, a type of boundarylessness at the very beginning so people understand what you are diving into is going to take you on a roller coaster of emotions physical and mental um it's going to expose you to certain things that might shock you a little bit might make you go wait did i read that correctly um (laughs) you may know what i'm talking about there too um i want people to feel something when they read my words, because that's what I think the magic comes from. It comes from the passion. It comes from the feeling. Um, so I think on that kind of on that thread of writing is magic. Did you approach your writing ritually or did you just kind of sink into it? Like what, what is there like a, a ritual around your writing or like your perfect writing day or any of that kind of. There is, and it's extremely unconventional. Um, <laughs> I, my, my writing ritual is I get on the elliptical at my gym and I actually write everything on my phone in the notes app. Um, I find I get into this very trance-like state. I put myself in a high incline and a high resistance and, you know, my feet are going and my body is moving. It's that shush, 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 shush. And a lot of times I'll put on like some Lindsay Sterling or some sort of lo-fi. It's not about the music. It's just about a background noise. Mm-hmm. But that continuous motion it makes me feel like i i i go into a semi no not a semi it is a trance state where i will start writing and like i said i have no outline i have no idea where this story is going and i will find myself sometimes going for an hour and usually the, the elliptical will time out at an hour and i will have completely lost all sense of time. I'll be drenched in sweat. And I would have had half, if not say a full story written. And mm-hmm. if it's not done and I'm still going, I will start it over and I'll just keep going. Mm-hmm. And and it's one of those things where it feels like I sort of lose a sense of control and self and fall into the story. And I'm experiencing it as it's coming out of me. Um, and I will have these really strange and wondrous revelations that I don't feel like I get as much in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, I try to go at least five, six days a week. Um, I get on the elliptical. I try to do at least 30 minutes a day. And I do all my writing on there, all my writing for um, Pathia's Pagan. Almost all of my book was written on the elliptical and a a somewhat what I feel like is an altered and and you know high endorphin high dopamine state adrenaline mm-hmm. state that that takes me out of myself. Yeah, I love that that kind of moving meditation aspect of it. And you must also have the heart of a lion. I mean, that's kind of amazing. <laughs> that's a lot of cardio. <laughs> um, but no, I, I love that. And I mean, I think unconventional is good. Like there's this, I think, apocryphal story about Nabokov writing, standing in a chair with his notebook on top of the refrigerator. 
and I don't know if it's true. I've, I've heard the story told by writers, like, like, you know, at conferences and stuff over the years. And I'm like, I wonder if it's true, but I'm like, I, my feeling about writing is it's really easy to compare your process to someone else's process, but it's most important that your process works for you. Yes, absolutely. Um, sometimes you can literally sit at a desk, open a computer and just write. I cannot. I tried. I basically sat there and just would look at my phone or want to change the song. And I felt very still and unmoving. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I, I write the way that I write and I love yeah. it. And I feel like it brings something that I don't think I would get without being in that state. Yeah. No, it makes sense to me. My, I still have not recaptured my favorite writing thing is I love to sit like in a cafe and write because I love the sound of people. Like I don't wear headphones or anything. I just listen to what's going in that. Oh yeah. That particular white noise uh -huh. is like, that's my brain's happy place. And I still, you know, um, I, I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but my um, son has long COVID and he's moving in with us. And so we're super careful because really a cold would be bad mm -hmm. for him right now. Yeah. And so I'm not really comfortable being in a cafe. And unfortunately, I can't write outside because it's too bright. I can't see on my screen. So um, I'm trying to figure out how to get around that eventually. Like, I, I really need to get back in that space. But I've kind I can of help a little. I found. Oh, yeah. Please um, offer. The, there is a YouTube channel called Nemo's Dreamscapes. Um, I use it in the background of all my Instagram lives because I just love it. And it's over a hundred different like sometimes six to 13 hour long videos and it's like oldies playing in the other room while you're in a cafe oh, oldies playing awesome. in the other okay. room while there's a party downstairs oldies playing in a cabin while you're on the front porch and it's raining outside oldies playing and you're sitting by a crackling fire it it, it feels like there is a song going on or a party in the other room. There's people over here, but I'm in here typing instead. Oh, I and, love that. Yeah. Because I've tried and, some of the ones on YouTube and I haven't, I don't think I've seen that one. So I'll have to give them a try. Nemo's Dreamscapes. Awesome. You're, you're going to fall in love with it. I'll just put it on when I want to like water the garden or just cook or something because mm -hmm. it's, it's the perfect background noise. Yeah. There is something, I don't know. Like you said, there's something that I, I need that to just take me a little bit out of myself. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think I've ever shared this with anywhere, but uh, I'm going to tell you because, please, you know, but the last book in the series I wrote is called Strange as Angels, which is from the Cure song. Um, but I was in a cafe in Knoxville before we moved to California, and it was a Watson Twins cover of this Cure song that I had never heard before that was on the radio. And it totally changed the whole trajectory of the book, listening to the song in that cafe in that context. <sighs> which was just weird. So those are such pivotal moments though. Mm -hmm. They stick with you forever. And it, it makes you believe, I mean, I'm a big believer in synchronicity and, 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 reasonable means, but I do think that there are synchronistic moments that, mm -hmm. you know, they happen, you experience them and then they change the trajectory of, of your intent, your passion, what you're doing in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things I think that comes with, uh, wisdom of age or wisdom of repetition mm -hmm. is figuring out when it's a sign and when it's just random. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Not everything is a sign, but sometimes you'll, you, and I think it's really paying attention and knowing. Mm -hmm. um, 
I always like to think when it comes to signs, if you really have to dig deep or ask what it means, it's probably not a sign. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually signs are sent to you because you will know what they mean. Um, That's just my general rule. And and my secondary rule is if something happens three times in a row, okay, I'm paying attention now. It's three times. You've got my attention. First time was once. Second time was a coincidence. Three times. What is it? What's going on? Let's do some research. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, I think one of those things that comes, you know, like I said, with, with just time, like, I think you just figure it out as you go on. I think when I was younger, everything was a sign, like, cause I was so hungry mm-hmm. to, for direction and now I'm older and it's like, you know, I, I kind of know where I'm going sometimes, not always. I mean, it's funny to hit 50 and realize that most people are still winging it this late in life too. Like we're all just kind of winging it on some level. <laughs> I'm still waiting for adulthood to hit and I'm 36. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, I, well, I can't tell you that 50 is when you're going to feel like an adult because it hasn't really kicked in. I mean, oh, I have a son who's almost 30 and I still don't feel like an adult all the time. Occasionally my body reminds me that I'm 50, but um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm getting that one. Mentally, no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So one of the things I did want to ask you about, because the the episodes that you and Austin do, where it's just the two of you talking on a subject, Mm -hmm. I know you kind of do outlines for those. So does that feel like writing to you or is that kind of a different thing? And do you approach that differently? I do. I approach it completely differently. I usually write the outline. Again, I write the outlines on the elliptical too, because... um, I'm a busy body on there. <laughs> I, I, would, I I cannot just get on there, do cardio, and then the, like <laughs> listen to music and stare straight forward like a happy camper. It's just not me. Um, because I work a full-time job, I do try to find uh, other places to have the opportunity to do my other hobbies. Mm-hmm. So um I'll, you know, I'll I'll write the outline and I'll try to do as much or either I will or he will, because he, especially any guests that he brings to the show, he'll he'll write the outline and maybe I'll mm-hmm. add to it. Um, that does not feel like writing to me. That mm-hmm. is setting a conversation pace um, with reminders as to what we want to talk about in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And we will go off on all sorts of directions sometimes in these conversations, depending on what one person says or inspires in the other. Yeah. Um, that feels very different than writing to me, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I admire people who do those kind of podcasts because it's, it feels like a lot more prep than an interview. I mean, I feel like, you know, I read, I try to read. My goal when I started the podcast was I always read everybody's most recent book when they came on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, someone I've already read their book, but, you know, so I try to always yeah. read the book and then do some stalking online to find out other things. Love but, it. Um, but I think if you're, if you're going on a deep dive on a topic, that's really a lot more preparation than an interview. Yeah, I do. Um, I know when when I'm putting an outline together, I want to make sure that I have a lot of good talking points prepared and ideas behind them. And mm-hmm. sometimes I will literally even write quotes out to make sure that I get the wording correctly. I stumble mm-hmm. over my words a lot because I find my I'm, I'm somewhat neurodivergent in the way that I think about what I'm I know what I want to say before I can find the words to say them. So sometimes I'll struggle to get them out. Yeah. Um It frustrates me to no end, but uh, it helps me sometimes to rewrite out quotes and just have Mm -hmm. them prepared for me to read off and pretend like I'm saying them from the heart. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I try to do everything that I can to combat 
misinformation, mm-hmm. especially disinformation. So a lot of times we'll approach the topics on our podcast, not in this sense of, I've got a gripe to pick with this person who said this. Instead, I'd rather just talk about the correct information around that thing. Mm-hmm. And hopefully people who listen feel more informed. Maybe they're like, you know, that inspires me to go out and read more about this thing mm-hmm. or or they'll even reach out to me or, or, or um, comment on a post. Oh my gosh, you've got to read this book. I, I've read so much more about this subject and I think it'll inform you more on that. Mm-hmm. I think that's wonderful. And it yeah. gives I think, people the opportunity to, to just be more informed. Yeah, I do love the exchange that happens. Um, I mean, obviously, I, so I have figured out that I have to do a month of recording and then a month off because I can't write and read that much at the same time um but i have found that like talking with people and you know reading their books uh especially like when they have like suggested reading or bibliographies and stuff and then like my month of fun reading when i'm not on the podcast is then filled with stuff that i've come across in those situations so writing the bibliography in my book was so annoying (laughs) So like, I've never written a bibliography outside of school before. And being that I'm 36 years old, I didn't go to college. I graduated high school in like 2005. So it's been a long time since I've had to write a bibliography. I had to look up how, um, and then I had to write everything out. And I have tons of books in there um, that have all informed me some way, shape or form. But the thing that really stood out to me was these stories are original. So mm-hmm. I can't necessarily say, oh, that stems back directly from this book. There are three stories, sorry, four stories um, that do stem directly back to specific books. And I say so in mm-hmm. the author's notes about them. But a huge portion of, of that bibliography comes from things that have inspired my practice that led me to write this in the first place. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's very interesting because bibliographies... When I first started in witchcraft years ago in the 90s, when I was 12 years old with, you know, Raymond Buckland and 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 Silver Ravenwolf, like bibliographies were not something people considered as important. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these, these works, at least not that I remember that being part of the conversation, because I was sucking up the only information I could possibly get in, you know, the suburbs of of the city in Texas where I lived. And I'm now much, much more interested. And in, I always look at the bibliographies whenever I get a book, because it gives me the opportunity to realize what uh, bodies of work and, and resources inspired this chapter or this section, or even mm-hmm. more so just the whole book. Yeah. And there, there was something that um, Troy Books does uh, in the UK, um, which is uh, Gemma Gary uh, uh, and Jane Cox. They own that company and, and she writes The Black Toad and Traditional Witchcraft and several other books she's annotated and, and kind of uh, edited because they're just recreations or reprints of uh, older works. Mm-hmm. I really like the way that she seems to create um, a setup where she'll write the charm and then she'll write a little letter next to it. And then in the back, there'll be a section where like that letter corresponds to this book. So instead of necessarily having you know footnotes on every single page it more so it has like a a, a context to go back and forth mm-hmm. so you don't have to 
it's just a formatting way of doing yeah. it. And it inspired me to do that with a lot of the charms that I have in mm-hmm. my book, because all of the charms are written by me. None of them have ever been written in any other book before, but I wanted people to see that this didn't just come get pulled out of my butt, you know, like I, <laughs> I got this specific reverence from this yeah. book, which has a history. And then if you'd like more on that, this is the book you can go see. No, I like that. And I think, I don't know, it's interesting you bring this up too about how you laid out the book that there's a lot of white space between the paragraphs. And yes. I find that really helpful too. Um, my eyesight is not great and it's not as much of an attention or um, neurodivergence thing. Although I, I think, you know, I've got some stuff going on too, but it's really just visual for me. Like it's hard for me to read a lot of small text about yeah. crammed together. And um so I really appreciate that. And that's one of my issues with footnotes at the bottom of the page. I love them. I like, I want to know where the information came from, mm-hmm. but they're difficult to read sometimes and kind of distracting on the page. They can be, and it kind yeah. of distru- mm-hmm. it disrupts, it disrupts the flow of reading mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, and I, I like that you bring that up. I did put um, spaces between every paragraph instead of indentions on the paragraphs themselves, mm-hmm. because I am someone that really struggles looking at a complete page of text and and getting through it knowing that there's 50 more behind it. It helps seeing those paragraphs broken down because I'm very analytical and and it helps me kind of be like check off list almost mm-hmm. like I've got this paragraph done, this paragraph. Yeah. And people found people would reach out to me like, I read your book in one day. I read your book like over a weekend. I've never been able to read that many pages in a single sitting before. Mm-hmm. And that means so much because that means that it was digestible. They could take yeah. it in and they wanted to continue without feeling like I've got to take a break and put this down. It's too much. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. And um, it's funny, it's something we did with my books when we published them is there's a, there's a break between the paragraphs. And partly it was that the way it looks on the page. And my husband is uh, he also designed the books when we republished them. And um, he's a white space designer. Like he loves white space. Oh, <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it's great. And I think it's, you know, just something that people don't think about. Like books, books are an object as much as they are a source of information. I mean, they're, they're an artifact in themselves and how they come into the world is very interesting to me too. So Absolutely. Awesome. Um, so I um, am very much looking forward to playing our game of chance with you. But before we get there, I would love for you to tell people where to find you and anything you have coming up. This will come out mid-August. Okay. So if you've got stuff coming after that, let them know. And then we'll play our game of chance. Um, funny enough, I don't have any specific things coming out. <laughs> it's because uh, I just I seem to do my thing and then I have an idea. Um. Uh, so this is coming out mid-August, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by then, I would have had several things come out. Can I list those oh, yeah, as well? Oh, yeah, Perfect, yeah. perfect. Um, if you'd like to find me, please follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Witch of Southern Light. I am on Twitter at MarshallWSL. Um, if you check any of my platforms, please check out the link tree in my bio. I have so many free resources for practitioners in there that are literally you can make it one of the little uh, buttons on your home screen and you have for access to planetary days, calculator for planetary hours, a list of herbal and crystal correspondences, how to write spells, how to extract spirits from plants, as well as all the links to all my platforms and a couple of great educational sites. Check that out. 
Um, I have a Redbubble shop where a lot of my digital art can be printed on any merchandise you like, journals, t-shirts, sweatshirts, phone cases, etc. Um, if you'd like to read my work on Pathios Pagan, just look up the Southern Light Diaries, also linked to my bio. And I am, um, I've opened an Etsy, I'm opening now, but will have opened an Etsy shop by then. There is um, a, a PDF prints that you can buy for oh, nice. pretty cheaply that yeah. are actual um, grimoire pages that you can print out and put in your own personal book of shadows or grimoire, grimoires, and they are um, uh, from my book. So instead of maybe reading the book and writing them down yourself, you could print some of them out and put them directly in your book as a pre-created grimoire page. Uh, I think that's all. That's awesome, though. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's, oh, that's awesome. I totally forgot. And please listen to my podcast, Southern yes. Bramble, a podcast of Crooked Ways with me and my co-host, Austin, also known as Bainix Bramble, on Instagram. Yes. I highly, highly recommend. Also, second, Thank highly you. recommend. Great. So um, I, I had a hard time writing questions for you. Oh, well, hey, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, oh, what do I want to ask Austin or ask um, Marshall? There's lots of... Lots of things. So we could, lots of rabbit holes we could go down. Okay. Oh, there's so, so many rabbit holes, aren't there? Yes. So if you listen to the show, you know, I'm going to roll and die. You don't get a question about mm -hmm. death, sex, religion, politics, or money. Okay. And I roll six, you get to pick which one you want. And there are no rules to the game. So if I roll something and you're like, I really want the other thing, then that's what we'll do. Now, do these yeah. need to necessarily always be related to witchcraft itself or just pretty much anything? They're kind of, I try to keep them related either to your writing okay. or to kind of the subject. Like, I don't really want to blindside people. I get like, it. You know, but because, um, and like I said, people can always pass. That That's one thing I felt really important about. Like, I don't, yeah. people can keep stuff to themselves, right? I mean, that's Absolutely. <laughs> so two, sex. <laughs> yes. Sex. Well, actually, uh, I'm happy to speak on that. Um, okay. Absolutely. And it absolutely connects back to my writing. Um, yes. When you when you read my book, you will notice a huge queer theme. Um, it's very, very important to me to understand that people understand I view witchcraft as very queer. It's a very mm -hmm. in-between place. It yep. doesn't exist in the mainstream. It exists on the fringes. It exists in the... Um, liminal spaces that queerness is about living on the edges or mm -hmm. being on the edges or not being the traditional expected outcome um there is a story in my book that role reverses sex mm -hmm. literally and in a way where at a a sabbath um there is somewhat of a flying orgy if you <laughs> if you will but it's done and i I like to believe it's written in, in in such a tasteful way that what you are experiencing is this young woman's awake, like not just a sexual awakening, but an awakening that brings sexuality and ownership of oneself back to you, mm -hmm. especially the fact that these are written what seem to be in an older time, but no specified time. She makes it very clear that, you know, she understands that who she will end up being with physically and sexually is the person that her father will most likely pick for her because that would be the most advantageous for the family. Mm -hmm. But she says, I'd always detested the idea of that, but this was her choice. And mm -hmm. 
this sex is about my choice. I am a gay man and I am not, I didn't choose that, but my sexuality is my own to own. And I wanted to write a story that kind of took that and took it a little bit further past the line. Mm -hmm. And she, a um, little bit of spoiler, but I think I've already said this on Instagram, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. She, um, she starts having intercourse with a man that happens to be her neighbor. And in the process, he removes himself from her. She in turn, it's just described as this. She grew hard and entered him and he gasped. You kind of have to reread that once or twice to realize, did she just grow a penis? <laughs> like, wait, 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 what? Because yeah. when it comes down to it, historically and in modernity, sex has always been traditionally a male penetrative act even mm -hmm. in the language that we use we talk about light sockets as if they're male or female you know mm -hmm. the enter and the one that gets entered the penetrator and the one that gets uh, penetrated and sometimes i feel that becomes so unequal in an act that should be about two or three or four however many people coming together and enjoying something on a a what i think is a beautiful experience mm -hmm. or a nasty experience whatever you want it to be yes. like <laughs> i i wanted to show that that equality of power is just as amazing and beautiful when those roles are reversed i mm -hmm. wanted this character to feel that power to feel that sense of penetration which which isn't something that you typically get to see in a woman's experience so um i wrote this story to really show the boundarylessness of how you can own yourself, your sexuality, mm -hmm. your body, and and what you want to do with it. Yeah, and I think it. I, I think it's really beautifully written, and it's also pretty hot. I mean, I'll be honest; like it's it's pretty hot. I agree. Scene. <laughs> so I was like, okay, go, Marshall. Um, but I was th the question I had for you is literally around this part of the book, um, please, because I was thinking about like it's so well done, and I think. I think it does address that sex is pleasure, but also there is like this political power aspect to it. And you, you talk Absolutely. about that kind of in this roundabout way, but I, you know, and then your authors know, which I think is brilliant. You're like, sex is never necessary. Like, never. And I was like, that's, I think so important, especially for new, new and younger, which is to hear mm -hmm. because I think there's a lot of talk about sex magic and this, this, um, kind of, I don't think it's an overemphasis because I think it's important and it is powerful magic, but I think it can feel very intimidating. And it's also an area where people take advantage. Absolutely. So I think saying that, so one of the things I thought might be interesting, if you feel like you can expand on this is what advice would you give those people walking into the space who might be ace or not interested in sex? Mm -hmm. If they feel like there is this overemphasis or if they feel like they're missing out because that's not something they're interested in. Do you feel like you could talk to them about how to think about it? I guess maybe. Absolutely. I mean, I somewhat fall on a spectrum. I'm a romantic. Um, I find no interest in long-term romantic partnership with someone else. So, um, when it does come to sex in itself, mostly it's with myself. And I think that's one of those things that is a beautiful thing that mm -hmm. absolutely can be part of magic, but it doesn't have to be. There are so many avenues of magic. Like I know one of the things that uh, shocked me was to learn that the original 
thing that was taught to activate sigils was to orgasm while looking at a sigil. And that mm -hmm. shift of mentality was the activator of that sigil. Mm -hmm. And what it was interesting was the explanation came from the understanding that all that was necessary was for a shift of the mind, a shift of experience. You could be looking at a sigil while on a, a roller coaster and screaming out loud and screaming your head off while looking at the sigil because you are having an ecstatic experience. We can mm -hmm. have ecstatic experiences dancing. We can have ecstatic experiences um, uh, and exercise in martial arts. Actually, that was one of the things that I loved listening to where which Nike talk about. Uh, they feel like the best meditative experience they have is when they're doing martial arts and 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 a specific type of, of combat training. And I had an experience similar to that when I was in spin class. Like I felt like I was having an ecstatic out of body experience. Mm -hmm we can bring those types of, of experiences into our craft completely removed from sex. And if you find yourself with a mentor, a teacher, a group or a coven leader, whatever you are in, and they are pushing this idea of sex upon you, pushing this idea of forced genderism on you, it's okay to include gender or sex in your own practice. It's not okay to say you have to do it if you want to be involved. Mm -hmm. It's not. Um, if you find yourself as a new practitioner trying to find someone to trust, and this is the direction to go with you, if you are uncomfortable, walk away. That yeah. is not your only avenue. You have so many other avenues of, of finding yourself in the craft. Um, sex magic is great, but there's so many other options that, that don't involve that. And then, like I said, there is something in between. Sex magic does not have to include someone else. Yeah. It can absolutely be all about your own pleasure, your own beauty. And it doesn't have to be about sex even then. Sometimes the pleasure is... I know this sounds a little bit like silly or, or, or removed from magic, but sometimes the pleasure is in treating yourself something you maybe normally wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's doing something for yourself that's a little bit extra that you think is a little extravagant, but you should do it for you. And I think that a lot of times, especially when it comes to sex, many times, especially when we're not interested in it, it seems to be something we end up doing for other people kind of to get through to the other side. That's not where magic is. Magic does not lie in a place that you get through just to get out the other side. It's the experience. It should come from a place of passion. And there's so many places we can find passion. Oh, I love that. Thank you. That's, that's fantastic. And I hope lots of people hear that and take it to heart because I think it's Me important. too. I hope so. I think people get very squeamish over the subject sometimes. I think they see, especially if you're a new practitioner who came from trauma within Christianity or within the church specifically, because I know some Christian witches and I don't want them to feel like I'm saying anything bad about their belief system, but the churchianity aspect of mm -hmm. sexual repression can kind of leave one to feel as though even when you change into another spirituality, that sexuality shouldn't be a part of spirituality. I completely disagree. I think it can absolutely be, but it doesn't have to. And right. you can build your practice around things that I think you should find yourself sometimes getting out of your comfort zone, but it shouldn't make you feel as if, if this is what it is, I don't want it mm -hmm. because there's other options. Yeah. I think one of the beautiful things about witchcraft and the occult, whatever label you choose for yourself, you know, pagan, witch, sorcerer, whatever you choose, is that it, it kind of gives you permission and encourages you to explore those edges. 
exactly. like where you might be comfortable. And I, and I think sometimes if you come from, um, I love how Yvonne Ibero calls it a high control religion mm. where you're not allowed, you're not even allowed to look to the side, you know, like yeah. this is, this is the way you go. This is how we do this. And I think having that freedom, um, if you come from that can be a little overwhelming. Absolutely. At first. You, 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 a lot, especially if you are like, well, I'm coming from that exact mindset. A lot of times you're going to look for a mentor. And if all of a sudden that mentor is doing things that make you uncomfortable and make you feel like you're tipping, taking advantage of, you don't need, not, you, don't, you don't need that. You shouldn't. That's not part of this. That yeah. is not part of this. You don't need that mentor. There are so many other places you can go. It's not the same way where there is one singular authority that you have to go to for spirituality when it comes to witchcraft. You get to be that person. Yep. Oh, I love that. This is a great place to end to you. Marshall, thank you so much for this conversation. This has been delightful. It really, really has been. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on the show, talk about my book, my work. This has been so, so delightful. Oh, good. Well, may our past continue to cross. I love it. Absolutely. Witch Lit is a production of Thousand Volt Press and is edited by Julian Rashke. Our intro music is Cosmic Glow by Andrew Kay, and our outro music is Voices by Alexander Shinekar. Transcripts and all our previous episodes are available at witchlitpod.com, and you can follow us on Instagram at witchlitpod. Please help other witches find us by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to and reading Witchlit.